Hello, everybody, and welcome into the uh, Pro Nola segment of the Great Scott Show here. He joins us on Fridays, our friend, Saints and Pelicans correspondent Gus Cattengill. We're going to talk a little bit about both of those things with him this morning. Just talking a little spring football in the first segment. We'll revisit that topic in the 8 o'clock hour. But, Gus, we got to begin our conversation. True story here, what I'm about to tell you. Now, you have been keeping me in the loop about Gallo the Rooster, who viciously attacked your son, no joke, and who Animal Controls could not get a hold of. And, and it's no ordinary rooster. I mean, this thing is massive. It is the size of, like, a feral hog. And you sent me a picture this week of this woman holding him, and I guess taking him away, but it was, like, half the size of this woman. And there's a listener. His name's Pat, and he listens to us every Friday. And I guess he heard you on another show this week mention where Gallo is now. And he texted me, and he's like, he's, you know, Gus did it. And then I sent him a the picture you sent me, and he was like, holy bleep, that is a huge rooster. So um, I, not all, but some of our audience is dying to know, are we done? Is the rooster gone? What has become of Gallo? So I'm kind of, I was talking to Ben, my neighbor, who I had on my show earlier in the week, because he was terrorized by him to, you know, 4 a.m., 3 a.m. I think he kind of knew after he came after Carver, that his days were numbered because uh, he would avoid the backyard. And, uh, and I'm trying to make sure that, you know, animal control can, can, can come and get him. And two attempts early in the week by a lone individual lasted about four or five minutes where they turn and look at us and go, oh, this is more than a one-person job. Now, this was to my wife. I was walking the dog finally on – you know, what was it, Tuesday or something, I was like, okay, let's try again. This lady, Victoria, who I guess is one of the people up there, was going to try to, she's like, I'll come out there myself. I actually live in the neighborhood. I hear him. I've tried to get him. So people for blocks away can hear Dial. So, I mean, I mean, he's known over there. And, uh, and I was like, look, come heck or high water, we're getting this thing. And I I mean, the, the fact that it's, it's we've, we've gone over it. I mean, his nickname was Rambo. I mean, he's been shot at, poisoned, or attempted poisoning, outwitted two JPSOs, um, outwitted three different animal control people. And I was like, you know what? I just think, just tell me what you want me to do. I can do and We'll go to get it together. So Victoria comes over. Of course, she's there, you know, way early than where we're supposed to start. Rushing from the West Bank, picking up my kid to get over there. Like, please don't leave. We'll go. We get back there. She attempts a couple of times. Of course, Carver's asleep in the car. I got to get him out the car. I hear him in the backyard. McQueen's after him as well. My neighbor across the street comes over. So there's three of us, my dog, trying to corner Gallo. And I'm like, look, you know, you got to use the, the rake because if he goes up, he's going to try to fly away. So I was trying. I was, I was the flying away control person. Anytime he tried to take flight, I put the rake on top of him, <laughs> you know, so he didn't go nowhere. She tried to use this gargantuan net. Long story short, we get in the corner. We you know, like this little alley where there's a fence, and she just jumps on him and just grabs him with two hands. I mean, like I'm applauding. 
my neighbor's like, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. She's hopping fences in a single bound. Um, oh, he got hero. And that picture you saw him was her just grab him and you know, the, apparently there's a livestock person in animal control that will take him, and they actually have like a farm barn sort of thing for livestock animals to adopt them and all that. Apparently he is a very expensive and rare rooster. And she's like, he won't last a day. I'm like, okay. So well, I'm happy for him. At least he will yeah. he'll be a, a rooster, you know, but I mean, um, it was, it was an ordeal. This has been going on since December. So I, I, I'll never forget when you know, we heard cockadoodle do in the background one morning when we were talking live and, we, you know, the more we learned about this thing, like I agree with one thing you said, uh, you said expensive and rare. That is a rare rooster. Um, you know, living in the suburbs, you know, bullying up to anyone that steps up to him, half the size of a full grown human. And, uh, wherever he ends up, man, I, I, you know, they talk about whenever, you know, if you ever have to go to prison, make sure you you go punch the toughest guy right away. Now, don't do that, but that's just stuff you see in movies. <laughs> All I know is wherever Gallo ends up next, whatever farm it's on, he's walking up to the biggest animal on the farm, and he's just going after it. So I don't know if he'll survive, oh, yeah. but I wouldn't bet against him, man. No. And like I said, I, it, it ended up, hopefully he's, uh, he's somewhere he's happy, and the neighbors are happy now. Because, look, I, I, I'm not even joking. It was sad. You know, Sunday, we're – trying to put our groceries up from going to the store and he wants to go play in the sandbox and, you know, he's begging for one of us to go outside because he doesn't want to be in the backyard. So, I mean, I can't have my four-year-old afraid to go in the backyard. So, you know, something had to be done and it was done finally. Crazy, man. Absolutely, absolutely nuts. Gus Cagliar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Well, I hope your son doesn't have rooster PTSD and I mean that. Um, Let's start with the Saints in this segment, and we'll we'll circle back to the Pels and you know, a little bit on their game tonight, uh, last night against the Magic, but more so on the state of things. But with the Saints, Gus, we're now less than a week out from the first round of the draft. We are, you know, looking at eight picks right now. Sean Payton made it pretty clear when he was playing golf this week at the Zurich Classic. You know, he said specifically cornerback, something we have to address. Uh, you talked about linebacker. I mean, there's a lot of needs. They're not going to be able to fill them all in the draft, Gus. Realistic scenario, taking into account that this team has drafted well the last couple of years with Jeff Ireland, you know, being a big difference maker. Uh, you look to the couple of years of drafts before he got there, and they're, they're pretty horrendous. Um, what, what, what in your mind is the best case, most realistic scenario uh, 10 days from now when the Saints are wrapping up the draft? Best case scenario for... Just for the Saints. Like, like I, I know, look, I you know, realistic-wise, because a fan will say, oh, you just you have one like 2017. Okay, all right, let's right. be realistic. Oh, and it's funny, well, it's funny you say that, because I, I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and you have a far better sports almanac memory than me, Scott. Um but I want to say the last two years or so, even three, I mean, I would even go back to Davenport. Um, I, I have thought that the Saints have, like, you know, every year we go through the mock drafts, we have analysts on, we have beat reporters, and we all try to kind of get an idea of five of the ten names that's dwindled to five or so, 
by draft night so we can pay attention, right? You know what I'm talking about, Scott, when they're 15 away, 10 away. Oh, that guy's off the board. You would have liked that. So we have an idea of names. Man, if I don't feel like the last two or three, I have felt that when the Saints are on the clock, those names are there. Like, I have felt that actually the people that we have thought that the Saints would like or could, could go get were there. And I don't – that's luck of the draw. That's maybe good reporting. That's maybe the team being honest and, and kind of seeing where you're going to go and you could understand. What's different, I think, about this year is you can go in every direction. I, I know Sean said it's not a must position when he said quarterback, and I agree with him. Now, what it feels like I saw earlier this week, which I don't believe, but McShay has him 20 to the Steelers. I mean, if Justin Fields is eight away from you, do, do you try to make that thing if it's for him or not? Mike Triplett wrote a great piece for Thursday yep. in which, you know, there's there's a lot of hope and belief. And Scott, you and I have talked about this on Friday. You know, okay, maybe not the first round, but maybe we find the quarterback later, second, third, fourth, and try to develop him. And Mike's like, it just doesn't happen. Like, throw Tom Brady out and grade the curve for what it is. You just don't see non-top quarterbacks tend to succeed and be that guy. And on top of that, so many of those top quarterbacks don't pan out. It just It's very rare and hard to find those. So, you know... That's why I say, what if Fields is in the ballpark? Do you make that play? Do you think he is or not? So, um, But I think the best case, Scott, is the more I think about it, I even managed to convince Matt Hudak from Saints Wire, who now joins me on Tuesdays on the show, man. She was all about corner. And, and corner, you and I have gone back and forth about this. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's staring at you. It's screaming at you. And I understand that. But the more that I thought about it weeks ago, months ago, and even as I get closer, I, I just, if Stephen Collins is in the ballpark, I have to go get him. I just, there's, I, I, and I could be completely wrong. Um, but when I look at what maybe the Falcons and Panthers may do and where this league is going and how I hear everybody referring to quarterback at the top of the draft, mobility, athleticism, moving in the pocket, um, seeing how Alvin Kamara has been kept in check by Devin White and the Buccaneers, how Drew Brees struggled against teams that had really good linebacking play, those games against the Panthers that were tough, Deion Jones pick-sixing him and things of that nature. And I, I just I, I think this team needs that. And and, and needs it where the, the league is going. And I, I know there's Micah Parsons and all this. I, I just think that guy fits. And what I've seen this past week from Monday to today on Friday, Scott, is Taven Collins being picked at 28, being picked at 29 to the Packers, 30, 31. Even one clown has him in the second. I, I mean, my thing is this. That's good because – um, you look at Cleveland and Baltimore and what Maddie did, we, we mocked it this week. She had the Saints trading up to 24 where the Steelers are and swapping there and getting Zayvon Collins there um, in case the Browns like them or, or Green Bay would want them or something. 
Um, and I convinced her and to look at him closely last week, and she spent you know, a number of days on it and, and looking at it, and she literally texted me. She's like, okay, you got me. And she's like, it's just he does it all. He, he, he covers the pass. He hits running backs in the backfield. He can sack the passer. He's just instinctive. He's smart. Um, he, he's just, look, he, I had Gary Smith who covers Tulane. I had him on on Tuesday to talk about Tulane baseball, but we were talking about David Collins. I said, look, if I just say David Collins, what do you say? And he responded with freak of nature, great player, unanimous defensive player of the year, all these different things. And I think the fear of Saints fans saying that he's Stephon Anthony, he's not Stephon Anthony. And I would say the number one reason I think he's not is because if you remember, Stephon Anthony was a player the Saints came across while they were scouting other Clemson players, right? They were scouting and looking at other Clemson players that stood out. When you look at Tulsa's defense, there is no other defensive player that stands out. It's David Collins. When you look at the American Athletic Conference, there is no other defensive player that stands out. It's David Collins. He's the unanimous defensive player of the year. He is the, the, the guy that stands out. And I get it. You can say, well, it's that conference. I heard some people tell me this week, well, you know, is he really that good in that conference? I'm like, nobody plays defense there. I mean, it would be like Kusa or something of that nature where, you know, it's so offensive-laden, but yet this guy consistently makes plays against offensive teams, teams that immediately snap the ball and throw it, teams that throw slants, wheel routes, dump to the screen to the running backs, uh, all those different – oh, by the way, that sounds like the NFL now. So that's why I'm like, that translates, you know. So I don't know, man. Um, Best-case scenario for me, and I think the team – Caleb Farley or Zayvon Collins falls to the Saints anywhere between a 24 to 28 scenario, and then I think the Saints need to go get whoever that is. They need to go get a playmaker, I think, at 28 to help them on defense. ESPN1420.com. You, you know, before you started, you brought up, like, recent years of the Saints drafting, and Jeff Ireland gets a lot of credit, and I get it. You know, he got there in 2015, and that was a that was a really rough draft. But you look at what they've done since then; they found some playmakers. The difference is, in 2017, you you had a lot of picks, and they were all in the top. You know, um, what? I mean, you had, you had a bunch like from Lattimore, Ramchek, Williams, Kamara, Anzalone, Hendrickson. All of those guys were taken in the first three rounds. You've got a number of picks in the first three rounds that this year. In addition to that, you had a lot of holes on the roster. You had a lot of openings. You had a lot of spots that needed to be filled. In 2018, you know, that look, the Davenport thing's been under a lot of scrutiny. Deserves to be. Uh, Traquan Smith, okay, he's he's at least playing. Will Claps on the team. He might not make it. Boston Scott's playing somewhere else. Rick Leonard was a major reach at four. He's not any good. And, you know, Natrell Jamerson and Cameron Moore didn't make the team. So, even though you didn't have as many roster spots to fill, yeah, you look at 2019. Okay, good job. You got Eric McCoy, you got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the second and fourth round difference makers. Yeah, you had some guys in round six and seven that aren't currently on the team, but those are late-round picks. Last year, Cesar Ruiz, Zach Bond, Adam Troutman, we don't know, right? The book hadn't been written. We know the Tommy Stevens one was a dumb deal. So because of the success of the 2017 draft, and I'll throw in the 2019 draft as well, because I think when you only have five picks and 
you know, one's in the second and one's in the fourth, and you get McCoy and Gardner Johnson. That's the knockout there. You've got eight picks, and you, I would argue, have more spots to fill this year than you did heading into 2017. So, I, you know, I, you, you're just talking about the first-round pick, and, and I get it. That's, that's the focus, right? And that's what's going to take place next Thursday night, and that's what I've been talking about a lot. But I think where the Saints are going to make or break you know, their, their short term and, and even possibly long term future is going to be in those early rounds that aren't first rounds. What do you do with those compensatory picks? Can you really nail down some spots or, you know, do you reach and draft a Rick Leonard, you know, or do you get a guy in the fourth round or a third round that has CJ Gardner Johnson type impact? Do you get a guy in round two like you got in Eric McCoy who is a, um, first-round talent type of player now starting for you. I think what they do in the middle rounds isn't going to be as uh, scrutinized or analyzed, but I think ultimately a few years from now, that's when we look back and say, man, remember that transition year for the Saints where you had Drew Brees retired, focus was on QB, Davenport either you know made it or didn't, right? Either he, it, was, it was either feast or famine. His career went one way or another. I think so much of it, too, is that 2021 draft class. This one is one, Gus, I think we're going to be looking back at for years to come, for better or for worse. Because in, in 2015, they had a lot of picks, and they almost all made the team. A few years later, most of those guys were not on the team. Why? Because they weren't good. They just happened to all make the team because you had a lot of openings. So for the first time in about four years, there's some roster spots up for grabs on this team, and hopefully – they're able to just knock out this draft because if they don't, I think uh, I think you're going to feel the ramifications of it. Not so much this season, though you will a little bit, but more so 2022, 2023, and in 2024. Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, when you take a look at the biggest difference, I think the last couple of years is, you know, it's that was a roster where you're like, who's making this team? I mean, like, what you almost looked at it sort of like most of the NBA looks at those second-round picks and, you know, it's interesting because we're going to talk Pels later, but I, I think the Pels and Saints are in a very, very similar boat. You, you, you have to – every pick matters and every pick counts to you. Now, if you want to use that as lateral or compensation to move up and go get playmakers in the second and third round, you know, get two two-round picks, second-round picks, that is, or two, you know, another third pick or in the third round, fine. You're, you're still using them valuably if you want to go get those players, but – you know, you mentioned the different holes, the lack of depth. Like, from the last pick the Saints have to the first pick, they, you hear Sean Payton talk about it all the time, the vision. Well, he needs to have vision because he needs to have vision for those players and they need to play. Um, you need depth. You need players that are going to be able to show up and play for you and um, able to help you one way, shape, or form. And that's kind of the same way the Pelicans are. You have four picks in the second round. You can't you know, do what you've done and sell it for cash or do all this, I mean, nonsense. You need so many aspects on that, which we can get into later. But I look at with the Saints, you absolutely have got to value those picks one way, shape, or form if you want to use them to move up. Or, you know, I can completely say, hey, use them. I mean, you, you lack depth in special teams and you um, – you, you, you maybe can find those guys, but I, I'm 100% with you. Look, the, the first-round pick is going to get a lot of attention, but 
if the Saints want to continue and stay a, a playoff team, I 100% agree with you that they have got to, um, you know, make some wise decisions uh, in the later round. So I, I think those picks in the second, and especially in the third, we're getting two, um, will be actually good for this team. Gus Kangyar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, the Pro Nola segment, our guest right now. Um, here's here's another Saints question for you, and then we'll we'll take a break shortly and and come back and cover the Pelicans a little bit. I think on offense, I was talking with Mike to tell you about this earlier this week. The player under the most pressure to perform this year, I think, is 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 Jameis Winston for obvious reasons, and you know you're replacing a legend, and it's the quarterback and all that. On defense, I think the obvious pick is Marcus Davenport. You know, you don't have that other guy that had double-digit sacks. You don't have that. Well, now that other guy's somewhere else making money. Mr. Two-first is what they call him. Look, reality is they gave up a first-round pick to go get him, and with that comes an extra eye of scrutiny. With that comes a, another grading curve that makes it more difficult. We've seen brief flashes of what he can be. Hadn't seen it consistently, whether it be for injuries or whether it just be for, I guess he just took today off. So, Jameis and Davenport. I think we can both agree, Gus, and feel free to jump in if you don't. I think on offense, one's under the most pressure. I think on defense, Davenport's under the most pressure. Okay, other than those two guys, who on the Saints roster, outside of Winston and Davenport, in your mind, you know what? This is a pressure-packed make-or-break season for this player. If they're going to be part of the future of this franchise, they have to shine in 2021. That's interesting because you say future of this franchise, so they have to be a young player or can it be a veteran player? It can, it can be anybody um, on the roster, no doubt. Because um, I, I say that only because, you know, and you've brought him up several times already in terms of, uh, you know, Teron Armstead or some, you know, some of these other players that have got to stay healthy. I, I think that's just as, and, and I know, look, Things happen, man. You get injured in football, but it's been kind of an instant, you know, thing of that nature. I, I would say a guy that needs to step up or, you know, uh, has, I guess, some sort of pressure to it. Um, I mean, I, I Traquan Smith, right? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. From one aspect of it, I'm thinking just the receiving core. Um, I, I would say, honestly – and you mentioned him already in terms of being drafted, but when you look at a guy like McCoy and Ruiz, I mean, look, the Saints have used high draft picks to help the center and guard position. But remember, last year they drafted a player to eventually replace the center in McCoy that you drafted two years before that. So I honestly think both of those guys got to show that they are future building blocks and, and things of that nature to be able to do it. So I think all of those different aspects, I, I would put the, the offensive line. I'd say Andres Pete, dude. Um, that guy probably moved Twitter as much as, you know, Eric Bledsoe does for the Pelicans on a game night. You know, that, and, look, and that's the thing. You notice I've mentioned – a handful of guys on offense. Um, I, I, I still think, you know, secondary, obviously, with Lattimore, is he going to be a guy that's going to get that 
extension or if he does perform to that value of it. Um, dude, I did, there's so many. And, and you keep bringing up, obviously, with the Davenport. I, I throw this in there. I don't think Cam Jordan had a really good year last year. So, you know, I, I've talked about it before on the show that I could see a scenario where this could be Cam's last year on the Saints. Contract, age-wise, maybe get something for him in the future or whatever or, or things of that nature. I, he could end his career and finish here. Um, but I, again, could also see it going in another situation. Um, if it's Marcus Williams that stays as your safety, you know, again, earn the contract that I guess you would have signed. Um, Malcolm Jenkins. I, I just keep looking. I keep. I can name you a lot of players because I, again, I don't know what kind of team you, you have. And also a lot of those players that I guess everyone thought were – reasons why this team was a playoff team or a Super Bowl contending team has to perform that way. And, you know, now with, I guess, I I wouldn't even say a changing of the guard, but just kind of trying to find out what the identity of this team is going to be. How does that sort of happen? So, um, yeah, man, I could probably keep going on and on, but that's kind of just what's popping in my head as, as I'm thinking about it. Gus Kagyar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Last one for you, Gus, then we'll take a break. What about Will Lutz? All right, I understand he was a pro bowler a few years ago. I understand that, you know, prior to, uh, I guess, the latter part of last season, he was pretty automatic. Um, But (laughs) you start making a lot of money. You had that big contract. You saw what the Saints, you know, let Morstead go. Didn't even give him a heads up, nothing. You saw, um, you know, obviously Garrett Hartley got a big deal and, you know, started having kicking issues, and it wasn't long before he was, you know, replaced. I, I think, look, I, I don't think Will Lutz is, is going to be released a year from now, for the record. I don't. But in terms of pressure, we've seen how Sean Payton is with kickers, and when you're making that much, Gus, you you, you got to be automatic, right? I mean, you you can have one miss here or there, but – there was there was a later part of last season where people, you know, you were suddenly nervous anytime he went out to kick a PAT or a field goal, and that was not the case the previous three years. Is he is in your mind, is he is he no one's safe fully, right? But is he is he comfortably safe or is he is his seat maybe a little hotter than folks are realizing right now? Man, you know, you mentioned that name and I immediately went, yes. That is uh, absolutely a player um, for sure, man. That is – look, you mentioned whether or not you felt confidence or didn't when it was, you know, about the kick, and that's not good. I mean, and it's crazy because he had absolutely been, but, you know, it's confidence, and we've seen that. I mean, we literally saw a guy who set Super Bowl records kicking in Hartley – to where he just lost it, man. Um, and it happens. It happens quickly. And, you know, I just, again, it's, it's one of the reasons that you saw, what was it, Scott, the beginning of the week, one of the Vegas sports books have the Saints at eight and a half wins. Um, you know, my, my intern says at the very least 10. I'm like, man, that's pretty confident. I, I like to think so, but you lost a lot of depth. You lost a lot of guys that, saw a lot of snaps, that dressed out. I keep bringing that point up over and over again. 
even if they weren't jersey sellers, they were guys that were dressed out. And I bring that up because on this team with Sean Payton, he's been very adamant that he tries to get guys on this roster, and you hear him in training camps, the final 53, and he has to sit there and go, okay, of those 53, you know, can we use them on a game day at some point? Can we envision them dressing? Can we envision them being somebody that does that? And, you know, I, I just look at this team and we lost a lot of those guys. So I, I honestly don't know what you're going to see from this team moving forward. I like to think that they got a lot of young pieces, like he said himself on Tuesday, Sean Payton, and he thinks they're going to be competitive and he thinks they can do that, but it's got to translate. Um, like I said, there, there's some question marks. There's some players that I think have to, you know, step up. There's some guys that are going to have to grow and, and be those things. I think they can be. I love Trump, man. I, I, I think a guy like that with a young quarterback can do that. Um, I think Kamara is going to be Kamara, you know, and I think Michael Thomas healthy is going to be Michael Thomas. But who is that second receiver? Is it Traquan? And, and here's the thing. You keep saying second, but in this league, it's a two, three receiver set for the most part, right? So, it's not just, you know, one guy. I think you're going to see another guy. You know, is it is it Callaway? All right, but now we're depending on a guy that they wouldn't even draft it. So, you know, and can he step up and be that? So I think there's, you know, a fair amount of pressure, I think, on even Sean Payton just to kind of retool it. Now, look, I do not think at all that it's a hot seat or something of that nature. I'm saying what the pressure is to try to, as I've used the phrase before, renovate your kitchen and bathroom, you know, to re-envision your team and see how it is that you want to move forward. And I think, unfortunately, Scott, sort of like the Pelicans, you don't know until you play games. So what we think the Saints are now probably aren't what we're going to see in September. And the team in September, you have to wait to actually see what they are in December. Um, And then I think during that process – you'll have a better idea and vision of how to move forward in January, to be honest with you. Um, if they're a playoff team, hey, all right, great. Now you see kind of where you are. If they're just out of the side of, of being a playoff team, okay, what were the pieces that were deficient? Um, did some of the veterans show up or not? Did some of the young guys pan out or not? How was your quarterback situation? That is a massive thing. There's a lot of hope um, that one of those two guys can get the job done. I mean, Drew Brees uh, on Wednesday was – very hopeful, and he thinks very confident of those guys doing that. If that position gets taken care of, and that position plays well, and I'm not just talking, okay, you're 215, 20 picks. You can fix that. You can, I mean, it, it, if your team was competitive every time they step on the field this coming season because of your quarterback play, that is a massive head strike. If the Saints are three and out and can't score, can't, I mean, that, you know, and it's December again. September is going to be different to to December. You got to let that team grow with who the pieces are now. But, you know, if that's the case, we're sitting here, Scott, on a Friday, you know, December and January going, oh, my gosh, this offense is averaging 12 points a game, 13 points. Sean started Winston. Then he had to go to Hill. Then he went back to it. If that's the case, then quarterback next draft is – your number one priority, right? So it, it, there's so many questions to me. You know, you, you asked me a little bit ago about best-case scenario for the draft. Best-case scenario for the draft and best-case scenario for the season, Scott, is that 
The Saints maybe even upgrade from quarterback. They can push the ball down the field. I mean, Drew Brees mentioned he was healthy one game one. last year. One. One game, and they were pushing for the number one seed. Yeah, but I mean, I think you know, I mean, that's, that's but pretty now, good. But you know, Janoris Jenkins is gone. We could go on, but yes, it is. I mean, they've they've been they've been solid. Gus Gagno always solid. We've talked Saints. We talked about one bird, Gallo, uh, who is finally off to uh, I, oh, things. And, dude, uh, I still hear him. I honestly still hear. I'm so. waiting to hear. I'm wait, I'm waiting to hear the cockadoo to do. I really, honestly am. I, I've heard it for so long. I'm just. I know at any second I'm going to hear. It. I'm just waiting for. It. PTSD. You know, that's a good segue because another bird, the Pelican, and Pelican fans having PTSD because Zion said nice things about Madison Square Garden. Uh, This team has other things currently that they need to focus on and worry about. Talk a little bit about the game last night, but the state of the franchise when we come back. A little bit more with our good friend Gus Kattengale. Pro Nola segment continues later on in the Great Scott Show. We'll circle back to the spring game last night, take a look at what's on tap this weekend on the Diamond as well as on the hardwood. That's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. It's a great Scott show. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open think tank, and um, the Pronola segment continues now. We'll circle back next hour to uh, the spring game last night at Cajun Field and what's on deck for this weekend. But right now, we talked Saints in the last segment for the Pronola segment. And of course, we also had to get an update on Gallo the Rooster. Let's talk some Pelicans with Gus Cattengill, who's still with us. Gus, um, you know, they won by 35 last night against uh, Orlando, but, you know, if that thing had been like a 25-point game with three minutes left, I think there still might have been a few doubts as to whether or not they could close it out. So it was nice that they could, you know, win a win a game against a, a underman team um, by, by a sizable margin because – Tell you what, we can make jokes, but we've seen this team lose by 30 to, you know, Minnesota's G League team this year. So I, with this team, anytime you can get a win that's stress-free, as rare as that is, you got to take it. Um, absolutely. It's funny you say that because they go up by 42. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and then Orlando makes a couple of shots. I'm like, uh-oh. And my wife goes, they're up by over 30 points. I'm like, you, there's plenty of time. It's the third quarter. So, um, you're right. It's crazy when you think about it from that perspective. But you know what, Scott? It's interesting. Going into um, the game, I remember uh, on the show saying, you know, with, with our guest that we had, and what are you looking for? We always talk about that on our show. What do, what do you want to see from this team tonight? And, you know, we talked about it somewhat a little bit in the earlier segments about in comparison with the Saints in terms of, you know, what are you trying to build and what, what are you trying to get – two at an eventual point and all week especially after the loss on Tuesday it was okay you know you have 14 games going into that game in Orlando and what is it you want to do I mean what do you want to see from this team and how do you approach it and we kind of saw it earlier this week you know Eric Bledsoe limited to 17 minutes you know he played a little bit more obviously this week but I mean yesterday but um you know it was nice to see Kyra at the end of that game when they were trying to win and he was on the floor and Look, I think we can say now, and even on the television broadcast, we're talking about it, where, you know, Najee Marshall's, I mean, he's a guy you got to put on. I mean, we spoke uh, all week about, look, I, quite honestly, I ended the show Thursday saying, sign him. I mean, he, he doesn't have a guaranteed contract or anything. He's, you know, why, you know, show him and show everybody in your team, you earn this, and 
then, you know, we're not talking about Lonzo Ball money or anything of that nature. You know, any kind of offer that you're going to give him that's, you know, fair for his experience to give him an opportunity, it's going to be seen, you know, not only by him gratefully, but also at the same time, the fact that, you know, you're giving uh, an opportunity to a lot of other people that, that says, hey, if you play hard, you do this. And so that's how I wanted to look at these 14 games. Who wants to be here and, and, and all of this? Because, Scott, there's no other way to look at what Stan Van Gundy did on Tuesday when, you know, just in the last several days he's talked about his team executing worse than a high school basketball team. And on Tuesday after that loss, even though it was the Nets and didn't have their guys, he called out their, um, you know, their effort. And, and he said, look, you know, don't use youth anymore as an excuse. Youth doesn't mean that you can't get back on defense. Youth doesn't mean you can't get in front of somebody, rebound, hustle, know where to go with the ball, pay attention in the huddle. I mean, he went on and on and on. And quite honestly, he's right on that. So when your coach essentially says, I don't know what else more you want, um, I was interested to see how they were going to respond. And you saw immediately Brandon Ingram, Zion, and others you know, respond. And, look, that's a team that had lost, what was it, nine in a row or something. I mean, it, you have to go do that. Because I, I do agree with Stan Van Gundy back on Tuesday after the game. He said, look, it's not that we don't have talent. And, and he said, that's the thing that frustrates me, that, you know, we're, we're not executing and doing things that we're capable of doing, that people that have played basketball for years know what to do. And we should know how to do that. And he's absolutely right. I mean, you miss a shot, go back. And he said it, you know, whether it's Hunzo or other players, they, they miss a shot a quarter later, he's telling the head coach that he's still worried about the shot that he missed. Well, there's a lot of game being played. And he said, look, I, I, I can understand it. Shots go in, shots go down. The other stuff we can't get. So it was interesting because we got so many calls, Scott, where man, people want to put it all on, on, on Van Gundy and, you know, saying that he needs to be more of a player's coach. He shouldn't call out Ingram and he shouldn't call out other players. Yet you hear Zion, who is the player on this team, Say he likes it. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, and, he, and he's right. I mean, if you're going to be the player with the max contract and you're going to be the player with your own Jordan shoe, you got to, you got to be a two-way player. You, you got you, Or you are over-exaggerating more of an offensive player. I get it. But even you saw in that game, Kyrie Irving, known for his offense, his dribble, his handles. What did he do to Zion when they were up three? He knocked the ball out of bounds to, to seal the game. He played the um, LeBron, my, you know, Michael. I mean, they were all offensive weapons, but they, they also, when the time comes, when the stuff hits the fan, when the game's on the line, their defense picks up. I mean, you see LeBron, you, we think of him offensively, but there's times, you saw it last year and you've seen it late in his career, if there's an opportunity where somebody's scoring, what does he do? He goes and guards the best player. He, defense is important. So we have callers saying, man, you know, worried about those players playing defense. Brandon Ingram does what he does. Like, you're you're missing the point. And, look, when it's your first year, you have to establish it and set that narrative. Because I said this Thursday. It, it boils down to this. This is the guy they hired. And you have to give him a year or two, possibly three. And you have to see what this roster is. You have to start with this basic understanding, Scott. The roster – formation was flawed it was you know mis- 
mis- misguided, and it, it was wrong. It, it, it was a, it was it was a, it didn't work. I mean, you brought it up earlier in this in our segment where you say, look, you know, Jeff Ireland gets a ton of credit, but there was a draft or two under his watch where they weren't good picks, and those players didn't stick around, and things didn't happen. So I get that, and it worked, but. You have to know, okay, it failed. It didn't work, you know. There's two, three, four players on this roster. They don't belong in this roster. And if at the end of the day your head coach consistently says players aren't paying attention, doing the little things that teams you're facing are that win and are going to beat you, well, then they don't need to be here, whether you're a high-profile player or a high-contract player. If you're not doing, at the end of the day, the little things and the things that you need to do to win. This isn't, um, hey, you need to run my system. This isn't D'Antoni. This is, I need to come heck of high water. This is how I think when you win. That's not at all what, what this is. I mean, these are things that you have got to do to win games. And, and that's why they hired Stan Van Gundy. And you can't, several months ago, before they hired him, say, well, you need a guy to coach, teach, and learn the NBA game to these young players. And then when it's tough and things don't go well, you sit there and say, well, that's not the right guy. So I'm not exactly defending him. I'm just saying, look, you, you can't call man and say he needs to be nicer and not let go of things. Cause you know, I've come to some information in the last two weeks where he has been challenged and he is being challenged by very high profile players, not Zion. And um, that's today's NBA. I think you can handle it to an extent, but it, it also painted a very clear picture me as to why you have this inconsistency and you have what you have with this team. And I think strong, steady leadership needs to stay, but I also think even, even more now, Scott, it's so important that Zion literally is just, he's, such, he's a nice guy and it's going to come. But, until he establishes himself as, like, with the Saints, with uh, Jonathan Vilma or somebody where when they speak, you shut up and listen, you're going to have this. And what he's going to have to learn is guys that you roll with are your guys that you care for and you love. And you have to have what Chris Paul had the second he stepped on the court as a rookie and some of these greats. If you want to be great, you can be buddy-buddy and crackling me all you want, but, Scott, when we do the show, I expect you to hold me accountable, and I, ho- I need to hold you accountable. You know, and that could just mean, hey, dude, pay attention to this, or, you know, hey, did you do this soundbite, or same thing with me, where's my guest, or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's you, you have to have that, and it, it's going to grow. He's still young. He still hasn't played all those 82 games yet and everything. So, But until that happens, Scott, after the stuff that I've learned in the last two weeks, it, it's just – you're going to have inconsistency. You're going to have guys that, you know, for whatever reason, um, march to their own drum, you know, and be. And I don't think it's that they can't or anything of that nature, but um, you you have to have a leader, man. Somebody has to run the show, both in the staff and I think on the court. Every time I see Chris Paul play, I just oh my I gosh, a, I get man, a little right? sad. You know the Wolverine meme where he's looking at the old broken photo. That that yeah. one, I just that's anytime I. It doesn't matter when he was with the Clippers, when he was with the Rockets, when he was with the Thunder. Now he's on the Suns. I'm like, 
Can you imagine what that would do uh, if if he was on the team? But you know what? He's not. Um, Gus, I'll, uh, I'll 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 close it with this, man. Give me your thoughts on. I I, I avoided it. I really didn't want to talk about it because I just didn't think it was a big thing. You know, he's year two of his rookie deal, but um, the national media, you knew they would do it, and some local media, Zion, saying nice things about Madison Square Garden as if that's never happened before. Your overall thoughts on that story? Non-story, big story, overblown, no big deal. What's the point? Where do you where do you side on this thing? Man, I look at it like this. Um, the, the, the phrase that popped in my head immediately was, that it's tone deaf. I, I don't think it was get me out of here. Um, I want to be a Nick. That's not what it came across. Um, or I think was intended, right? Um, I think he's seen, heard guys that he's looked up to in the league, LeBron, Michael, others, because I know that was a quick defense from a lot of people. Well, look, all these guys have said they like to play there. Yeah, you're right. But they play there in playoff games. They played that in regular season when it was sold out. What did he play in front of? A thousand people? Um, it was his first pro game there. It was his second game ever. So, you know, to come across sort of like this is the best place I've ever wanted to play. No, you've been told that. I mean, how would he know that game felt any different than when he's played anywhere else so far in his career? So um, it, it was I, – I chalk it up to just that. I chalk it up to just youth and just, look, he's probably excited to be there. And, and and follows basketball and knows the history and all those things. So I don't think it to be like that, honestly. I didn't take it like that. But why I use the phrase tone deaf is at the same time, um, you, you have to know the, the, the audience that you're talking to. And while it's not all New Orleans, you have to understand that that is your team. And that city has Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, Baron Davis, Bale, and, and, and leave. All for different reasons. You and I have talked about this. All for different reasons. Baron never wanted to be here, and, and that guy was a problem as it was. Um, and, and with Chris Paul, he absolutely was invested. Wherever he was, he was going to be. This organization was a dumpster fire. I mean, people forget it was sold. The NBA had to run it, and it was, you know, you traded his good friend and a very good member of the team. You know, they're second in the Western Conference one year as a young, up-and-coming, high-flying, Crescent City connection-type team. And then they literally, in an offseason, became one of the oldest teams in the NBA and lost the trust and faith of the head coach and the star player. And ownership went to, to stuff, if you know what I'm saying. So that was different. With Anthony Davis, that guy absolutely bald. I mean, you could say, well, he was always in. Dude, half of his injuries, if not all of them, were hustle plays, diving to this, doing that. He carried this franchise, carried the team. They had a terrible ownership and relationship with the management. This team was not absolutely invested in like they are now. It took a man to say, I don't want $200 million from you for Gail Benson and ownership to go, what's going on? Period, end of story. I mean, you know, AD in this time here literally watched 
them literally be an afterthought. I mean, they used football people to do basically everything that had to do with it. They didn't invest in medical. They didn't invest in scouting. They were literally using Windows like 2000. I, heard, I mean, I heard so much disaster stuff of what they were doing there. That was a joke. Like Duke and North Carolina, the Kansas, those programs absolutely were run better than AD's Pelicans. I mean, that's just a fact. And, you know, look, I mean, I don't care for how it happened, but let's not forget he recruited Boogie. I mean, Boogie told the story that every time they played, he told AD to go there. And AD said, no, you're coming here. So it's not like these players inherently get here and say, oh, New Orleans, I'm out of here. So I don't think that's the case with Zion. And I think he understands that. I think he was excited. You know, he knew before we did, obviously, the shoe was coming out, all these different things. He probably has so many people on him, what to say, what to do. And I can tell you that he is handled a certain way for perhaps a reason for that. You know, access is limited, questions, you name it. Um, probably for that, man, to try to avoid something like that. Because whether we like it or not, Zion is more than just a basketball player on this team. He's a moneymaker. He is a face. He is a brand ambassador. And he is, you know, one of the franchise's key components. So he is different. And um, he's young. So there's extra caution to that, um, into that, you know. So I, I, I look, I heard it and I went, come on, man, you, you can't say that. But, you know, I, I almost think of it from this standpoint, if he doesn't say three times, I'm glad you asked me that. I can't, I've been wanting to talk about it. It, it just, it, it, people hear what they want to hear. And for people that already, and I get it every week, Every week, when they lose a game, they lose two in a row, three in a row, they're selling the franchise. I get it every week. I get a caller. I mean, I know him by name. He's from the best bank. And he's like, you're delaying the inevitable. Zion's going to leave, sell the franchise, which, again, doesn't make sense economically. Um, the franchise is still here despite AD leaving and all that. And I don't know any single smart business person that is going to get rid of a $3 billion company or a billion-dollar company. And that's what the Pelicans are. Gail Benson's worth $3.2 billion. And one of the reasons why is because she has an NBA franchise that's worth over a billion dollars. And they don't win. So I, I don't know about you. I'm not a smart business person. But until you literally pull them from me, I don't. they're valuable. I mean, it, it's Vanderbilt makes money in the SEC. They don't win anything. You, you, what are they going to offer to leave the SEC? They're not going to. So – you have to understand that that's how your fan base feels and that's how they think. And I understand it. It's an emotional scarring of having seen players you invest time and energy in, time and money. And look, I, I said it to open the show. It's probably the last thing you want in that office to hear him say that as mild a manner as it might have been intended. When literally that game and every game you're seeing Poor Joel Myers, that, that the time is now to lock into season tickets at your price. You're trying to sell tickets for next year. You're trying to get people to go past and get away from the ADR and say, buy into us. 
You've tried to come up with slogans that resemble what you think New Orleans is about. You're trying to do all of these things to invest. Drew Brees just left. The opportunity is there for Zion to be the biggest star in the city. And he says, I'm glad you asked me. I, I love playing here in Madison Square Garden his first time as a pro. So I get both sides. I, I honestly do. I personally, Scott, think that there is such a long list of things that need to be fixed in this franchise and on this team that it's page three for me right now. If this is two years from now, I'd probably be speaking differently. Yep, but that's what I said. He could yep. want to go right now, mm-hmm. Scott, and be a Nick. Guess what? He can't for another three years. You know, so, I mean, I mean, so if, if they fix all of this stuff, they have got to correct the roster, get players that actually want to play basketball, and, and, and actually be a, a part of the team. Get guys like Najee Marshall. Let Kyra Lewis be Kyra Lewis and go and roll with him. See development like you have with Jackson Hayes. Um, understand that certain players do not need to be on this roster and have Zion take the natural progression that will come in time of being a leader. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to work. I mean – you look at video and footage of AD his freshman year here, his rookie year here, and he looks like a baby man. I mean, he's skinny. You know, I mean, he, you know, it's just, and you see him now, it's different. Same thing with LeBron. LeBron early, LeBron now. I mean, it's just, it takes time. Kyrie then. Kyrie's gone through so many phases and stuff. I mean, you know, Curry, all these different guys. And I, I just think this, this, you know, time in our lives right now where it's, you know, instant gratification or immediacy. I mean, we were talking NFL draft early in the segment and, you know, I hear these guys every single morning on get up or around the horn or whatever it is that they're doing it. What guys could be an all-star? What guys a hall of famer? Hall of fame, the guy hasn't taken a snap yet. I mean, he was like, <laughs> and they're convinced this quarterback, not that quarterback. No, this quarterback is going to be your guy. You know, somebody this week said Kyle Pitts is absolutely a hall of famer. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, so that's just the world we live in now, man. It's hot take, Bill. And um, yeah, to me, there's just so many other things that need to be addressed first. And if they are addressed first, then we're not even going to address this. The guy came out with his own signature shoe. He's got Gatorade sponsors. He's got sponsorships and money's going to come. This team plays on TV more than they've ever had nationally. Um, it's up to Griffin to find the right roster to let this guy coach them, and they can be better. So that happens. He's not going to go to, quote-unquote, the mecca of basketball. Gus Cattengill has been our guest this hour. Pro Nola segment now in the books. Follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17, at G-K-A-T-T underscore 17, host of the Sports Hangover on ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Always appreciate the knowledge, Gus. I'm glad Gallo has been taken away to a better place for him and all of you. I will not miss the cockadoodle doos in the background. All the best, man. Have a great weekend, and I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, this time next week, the Saints will have a new player on their team, and I'm sure it will be overanalyzed, but guess what? That's what we do. Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe with Pels and Saints in the upcoming season, uh, we do a Dio player of the game. You know, somebody that's relentless, I like consistent, it. basically can't be killed. James Johnson is, is annoy, James Johnson annoys is the Gallo. other team. The yeah. Gallo player of the game. I think I'm going to start doing that with you.
I think I think James Johnson has got it on lock right now for the Pels. That's you know for the Saints we'll have to you, you know what that's a that's a future topic. Who's most likely to be the Gallo on the Saints roster yeah. this year? Gallo of the week, man. This individual it could be anybody. It could be you know a Cajun. It could be a Southern anybody. I think we should do in our segments on Friday the Gallo athlete over the week. The Consider guy that has done. just absolutely shown you just can't kill this guy. <laughs> Consider it done. Or, or woman or female athlete. I, I, it's open to anybody. In the world of sports. Who annoys the other team? Exactly, man. I appreciate the time, brother. All the best. Man, take care, buddy.